these guys are looking for an avenue out. They're looking to play perfectly for a month, a, six months, a year, five years, and they're looking to get out to do something else. Yeah, it's the five-year plan max versus the, uh, we just want a a way to (laughs) degen where where we're not being hunted. Me and my buddy, we make it all of this money. Yeah, I know it's rude to be bragging. They never catching us lagging. Me and my buddy. Kick us off, Wiz. All right, guys, uh, welcome back. Table One Podcast back again. We have our good friend Nick Howard joining us today. Uh, My semi-friend, I don't know, I like him a lot. Uh, Art Parman's here as well. That's me. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we're just here talking gambling and poker and uh, a little bit of drinking, I I hear. Well, listen, in poker and gambling, when you're moving up stakes and you want to play bigger, they call it shot taking. So this episode... It's going to be all about shot taking. Oh, and we're going to be shot taking every few minutes. <laughs> you know, on a... I think we should set a timer. But when you guys proposed this to me, I had this idea. I saw it once on uh, Drunken History, and I thought it would be kind of cool to see how messy we could get. So I thought, yeah. Well, dr- Drunk History, by the way, is a fantastic show, and everyone should watch that. Uh, why, are you, why are you putting that top on there? Yeah, you, you should pour one for all three of us. We're going to do it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Like Art and I got a little bit of a head start, to be fair, but we're going to participate in the game. Uh, but so back in my college days, uh, we would do uh, Century Club, which was take a shot of beer every every minute for a hundred minutes. Uh, that got a little messy, but awesome. And then the the normal one is uh, what's it called? Uh, what's the sixty minute one? Oh my gosh, like Power Hour, which hour is the power, same thing. Yeah. But that's also with. Uh, with beer and not liquor. This is barrel wanna... strength, never say die. And somehow I got That's the right. biggest shot. Cheers. No, Cheers, you boys. can't tell. Okay, I'm going to set the timer too. Every eight minutes. Every eight minutes, mentally timed. Cheers, boys. Did you want to tell your, the abridged version of your story behind this whiskey? I thought it was really good well, when you told it at the table that day. The, 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 the full story will be told by Pat Madden, who will be our guest in a few episodes. I will see True. This actually, by the time this episode airs, today we're oh, filming. It's November 27th. Really on November 28th in Kentucky, you can buy this for the first time in America. Okay. We ordered it online, paid ridiculous amounts of shipping. And by we, I mean me. This is my like 12th bottle I've ordered, and we've got two left. Uh, That's true. It's a never say die small batch bourbon whiskey. It's a, they make it in Kentucky and then they let it age in uh, England and somehow that makes it uh, legally whiskey and bourbon somehow. It's crazy. It's true. So it can only be bourbon if it's made in Kentucky. That's, right. That's... And it can only be, they actually have a, he has a scotch whiskey too that like somehow it's both. It's both, mm. bur, it's bourbon whiskey. Bourbon scotch whiskey. Okay. I don't know. It's fucked up. It's uh, we'll have Pat on. He'll explain it to all of us. Yeah. But the abridged version is, this bourbon was made by the Beatles. That's <laughs> that's the abridged. The story's so much better, by the way. It's yeah. really good. You just have to work on your delivery on the the last part of it because sometimes you you trail off a little bit when you tell it, and it could hit way harder. <laughs> Thank you. I just want you to do better. No, I, you. We all want art to do better. Like, oh let's, be, let's be honest. <laughs> Art definitely wants art Art's to be been taking better. some uh, bad beats lately. Nick, have you ever taken a, a cooler or a bad beat before? Yeah, I have this, uh, probably the worst cooler that I can remember. I mean, not that I've played professionally in the last three years, but like, I played poker for 
15 years. I'll tell these two side by side. Worst beats I ever took. So starting with last night. Um, right away, just last night, huh? All right. Just, uh, well, okay. It goes like this. Small blind, big blind straddle. I'm on the straddle. We're playing 25, 50, 100. Uh, this is table one, right? This is a table That's one. Good. So playing my 25K, 30K effective stacks. 250 straddles deep effective. Small blind opens, big blind, who's just a pretty solid reg, three bets, and uh, I cold four bet with pocket kings on the straddle. You gambler. He He'll makes play it, <laughs> he clicks it back-ish to like 10K, and like immediately versus this guy is like, okay, like, I'm not ready to fold, but this guy doesn't do a ton of monkeying around, so like I'm already, uh, you know, a bit suspicious that like this might be one of those spots where you could justify folding kings, but I'm not ready yet. So I decided to just call instead of raise, which is what people do when they're sort of hedging with kings, I guess. <laughs> and uh, in my head, like I told you guys, I was like, I think I can get away from this in certain spots. I can fold an ace high board. Uh, if I get some type of, you know, reads post flop, maybe I could just fold if he just looks super sturdy the whole way through. Not ready to fold yet. Key point that I forgot to preface this with, 7-deuce game is on all the time in our game. So there's a bounty of somewhere between 1600 and two grand for anybody who gets a bluff through at any point in the hand with 7-deuce. So that's always sort of in the back of your mind, and you never really know who's willing to push it super far with 7-deuce, but it's always sort of like a haunting thought whenever you're about to make a big fold. Anyway, I digress. So we go to the flop, ace, ace, five. So now all thoughts of like folding to pocket aces are basically going out the window because now there's only one combination of pocket aces left in the deck as opposed to six. He checks, I check back because I'm terrified and I'm just trying to get showdown. <laughs> Turn is uh, a jack. He bets 5,000 into 20. And at this point, I'm just getting like crazy odds. And in my head, I'm just like, I'm praying that he's doing something silly and will give up. Or maybe once in a blue moon has queens and I'm ahead. Maybe the other two kings. Yeah, he'll, he'll give up a lot. That, that's a good point. Yeah, like There is a combination <laughs> of kings that's like pretty viable. Call. River. Brick. Oh, River was a king, you said. Yes, River King. The, the <laughs> that's, wor that's the worst. The opposite of a it's brick. a brick if they have quad aces. <laughs> like in retrospect, it doesn't really change things, except it just makes the combinations of like all the hands that all the ace kings and like right. the the kings just kind of go right. out the window. So, and that's what Paul said to me after. He's like, I feel like the way this board ran out just fucked your fucked you straight in the head because it yeah. probably still was a fold, but it just looks like you can't get off it. Anyway. I think what we call this in our game is just like a courtesy double up, or like if you're making this type of fold, you don't belong in our game. <laughs> I think even that's that, even right. though yeah. you're thinking about it, pre-flop is pretty suspect. Uh, if these chairs had wheels, I'd wheel you on out of here right now. <laughs> so yeah, I paid that one off uh, happily. But what do you have? He he shows pocket aces. He shows, and and I did some speech play too at the end, and like I felt really good about the fact that he didn't look like super confident. So now I think I'm like. You know, finding well, the call and like, and then he turns it over and it's just like, well, he was so, upset so he that he didn't have more money on the table. <laughs> the first thing that the first thing he said to me actually, which I think was, looking back, I don't think this is something somebody would say if they didn't have quads. He smirked and he said, "How did we not get it in pre?" 
which is a little bit too clever to say when you are, and I had turned my hand over. I was like, what do you think of that, Andrew? <laughs> and he was like, uh, how did we not get it in pre? So maybe that was my indicator that I could have got off. Do, do, do you think he would say that with seven deuce ever? I don't, I don't know. I think maybe people could say it, but it's like how you say it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not in the business of folding that hand. I, I've decided. So, <laughs> <laughs> even though you were looking for every opportunity yeah. the entire way, it's fun to. Yeah. It was a pleasant fiction to think I would fold that. Hand. Not that I would ever fold kings as a hero or anything. So anyway, that got me thinking when Art was asking me about shots we've taken along the way, maybe even beats. The way that I initially established my bankroll was actually through a real bad beat jackpot. Which is relevant because I think I would have qualified for the BBJ last night in that hand. Like that's boat versus quads. Mm -hmm. I think it qualifies at least. It reminded me of when I was 21. Uh, I had just moved to Vegas. I was playing live a bit back when Venetian had like the 1020 backroom salon. It was Iceman's game. Yeah, that was the first Ice real experience Dude. I had. <laughs> Teddy, uh, right? Teddy, Teddy Monroe, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So that was the live side of what I was doing and then like half the week I'd go home and I'd play on ultimate bet UB for those of you who like remember it before it went under Nick's big on the uh, two letter acronyms UB <laughs> T1 he likes for table one I think they're efficient <laughs> and they're oh, catchy just quick quick side I'll let you go through but uh, I was this far away from being a UB pro I actually signed a contract to be a UB pro and I, then, I used uh, to that, love it. that was a week before Black Friday and um I'm just gonna say they didn't uh, honor me any of the money that they promised. Okay, anyway, so, so that so that was like two years, I think, after when I was like heavy into it. It was UB was like really oh, good for a while. It was. Like, it was, and it was top fast. Three. I loved yeah. it because it was fast. It was great for the people who could see other people's cards. They fucking crushed it. <laughs> um, all right, shots here, please. While oh I tell come the story, on, we're has, it, has it been 28 minutes? Or how do I get the fullest shot every time? It was this one yours last time? I mean, I don't care which yeah. one I take. I'm just. All right. How do I reset you? There, there it is. Are. Oh, you're doing eight minutes. You oh, animal ear. Was this yours? Oh. I think I had the different one. Doesn't but... matter. Here, you take you take that one now. <laughs> okay. But Cheers. only Bobby has Cheers. to care about you now. <laughs> All right. Speaking of bad so beats. So ultimate bet. I uh, was my main site in Vegas for a while when I wasn't playing the Venetian game. And we had a big house of guys. It was just like a nice. typical poker room where we all had our laptops out. At this point in time, like two of us were playing. And I had like 12 tables of ultimate bet open, 3-6 no limit. Jeez. So I'm just sort of cruising on autopilot. And on one table, I get it in with pocket kings. Anybody who multi-tables know that like, specifically when you're only on a laptop, you get it in and you just minimize the table. Like you just get out of the way as fast as possible once you're all in so it doesn't distract you from the rest of your tables. So on this particular day, I get it in with kings on a king eight seven two spade board. I minimize the table immediately and I go on to my other hands. 10 seconds go by and all of a sudden all the tables freeze on my other games and it says the bad beat jackpot has been hit. What it did not do was pop the table back up where I had won the bad beat jackpot with kings. That board ran out king, nine of spades, and the opponent had jack ten of spades Sexy. for a straight flush. So everything's frozen, and all of a sudden I start getting heckled 
in one of my other table chats because I'm basically known as the whale on the site, which was warranted at the time. I was just very out of line on that site and everyone hated me. So on another table that I had not won the baby jackpot on, I was being heckled like, oh my God, I can't believe this whale is the one who gets to win the bad beat jackpot. And at this point, I'm like, what's going on? I start pulling up all my other tables and I find the one where I see the run out frozen, highlighted, like with stars on it where I had gotten quads cracked. I pull up my cashier. My cashier is 110 grand heavy, which is Jeez. at the time, maybe I had 100K bankroll. So it was tw 2X my bankroll just instantly. Wait, you're 21 right now? I was 21 at oh this time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You had 100K bankroll? That's just like, all right, good, go ahead. <laughs> so the first thing I did was close out of the session and we went to the club that night. The second thing that I did <laughs> was convince myself that I should spend my earnings on a $95,000 BMW. <laughs> which luckily. I'm with you there. <laughs> I would have done That's the such a 21-year-old thing. thing to do. At the I time, would, it made a yeah. ton of sense. I, I'm not sure who talked. It's me free out of money. It, I mean, whatever. Someone talked you out of it. Someone talked me out of it. Luckily, it, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. I mean, I still punted it off on other reckless activities. Which means you should have bought it. In retrospect, at least it would have had. A, I would have had exactly. an asset. You would have had at least like 60k <laughs> return on it when you sold it. <laughs> you have something. Yeah, you can send to Carmax. <laughs> You only lost like 30% of your uh, depreciation on the car if you would have bought it. So, so I never bought it and I dicked that money off s some other way. But what it taught me was that um, I do appreciate bad beat jackpot uh, structures. I think they're, I mean, obviously I'm biased at this point, but <laughs> yeah. I think they bring a certain element of good for the game into the game. I, I understand why people think that it's also a, a kind of an unnecessary tax, but like, those people have probably haven't hit one, so. <laughs> well, yeah, there's three people in the world have hit one. <laughs> it's pretty hard. Yeah, to I do. used to play at a home game that had a bad beat jackpot. They had fucking three tables, and then when the bad beat jackpot got to 100k, they got robbed. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and then, yeah. Oh, what do you know? No more bad beat jackpot. Yeah. Like, By robbed, I mean it's robbed. It's an idiot tax, and like, <laughs> let me just say, I, I agree with you. Uh, bad beat jackpot's good for the game, but when the casino's taking half of it. Like for their own uh, purse, it's it's such a bad deal for everybody. Like, yeah, it Listen, makes everyone. It's a good deal if you win, right, Nick? I didn't <laughs> know that they take that no, they, much out of it. Yeah, the, I thought it was all no, just going back. They're there. not promoting their game. They're, they're certainly not uh, well, doing yeah, it I don't, for I don't the good know of the how game. UB used to do it, but they. Well, they, UB, I don't know. Venetian, yeah, the online ones, they would they would reseed it with some of the money, I think, but. I mean, who knows? But but the live ones, they're definitely stealing a lot. Yeah, that's what that's sorry. Yeah, the live ones for sure are stealing a lot of money. Not stealing, but you read the fine Legally print. stealing. <laughs> I mean, it's they're it's whatever. Just like if you if you go drive to Prim and get a Super Bowl ticket, yeah, you can win a billion dollars. Good for you. What but, did you say? A Super Bowl ticket? Yeah, like Super, Bowl. Super Bowl. Oh, Super Bowl. Oh, lottery. Yeah. I was thinking Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, a Super Bowl ticket. Nice Wait, <laughs> I didn't know the Super Bowl was in Prim this year. <laughs> One day. One day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you won the, you lost the bad beat yesterday and you didn't get anything. But then at one point, you won the bad beat. And then, and then in two minutes, we have to take another shot, according to <laughs> That's his what phone. I, I didn't want to see that number, by the way. Sorry, he just pulled up his phone, and he just showed me how many more minutes before I had to take another shot. I'm trying to stay accountable and for the timer. Let me just say, Art and I have taken a, a few beers to the face already today. 
So this shot every eight minutes is going to hit us hard. Is, you're usually good at delegating, and you should have delegated this timer situation. Right. Yeah. I'm not prepared. <laughs> it's going to come out soon. Either way, I'm sure in 30 seconds we're going to get to disturbed. But uh, where were we going with this? Yeah, we, we were going good to good Bad Beat Town. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, well, we you, did that, so you won the Bad well, Beat. It's you not even a Bad dusted Beat. dusted it all on strippers and tables. Coke. And, uh, Coke. Coke. Probably okay. a lot. I was, was going to ask if drugs definitely were definitely not illegal. So was it, was it just Coke right away or the lead-up drugs? I'm more curious. Poker was uh, the lead-up drug. There were gateway drugs. <laughs> like for, for you, what was your gateway drug? Weed was my gateway. Really? In fact. Just like they say on TV. Cause I, it, I feel it's, like weed doesn't lead to anything but like it, snacks. It lead, a weed dealer leads you to a Coke dealer. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but I see it in some of the young kids who play in the poker games where they're like, uh, weed really helps them relax, and that was how I was. Something just happened when I was 22, and like it made me super anxious. So it flipped on me. Didn't even realize that it was doing that for like three to six months, and I was like just adding to the anxiety by continuing to use it. That's how it became a gateway drug. Is like I needed something besides it once it stopped doing what I was doing. But I actually envy the young 20-somethings that like weed still chills them out. And it sounds like it does that for you too, still, but it doesn't do that for me anymore. So, but like, I feel like I don't want to say normal people, but like uh, people <laughs> of my age, there was like a, like a bunch of steps between that and and coke. It was like I know Molly is like you know kind of like a thing. You're like you know like I, uh, part, how, how part, old are you, Nick? 37. 36. Oh, we're all actually. same age. Well, not well, we're all same age. No, no, I'm so old. We're we're all similar. Back age, in my day, he's old. <laughs> We used to kick rocks and spin hoops. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 43. Okay. Fairly old. No, that's fine. You that's... had to walk to school two miles in the snow, uphill, both ways. Yeah. He's anyway, heard my story. Is this on a silent timer or what? I'm thirsty. Shut up. This is not you. 43. Right. I think you're kind of... Literally six fine. seconds left. I have, a, I have a good mental like clock. Let's just say I really hope I'm in my prime at 43. Like, I think it's very possible that, like, that could be the prime. I'm pouring my own. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Did you hear what, uh, oh, I don't want to go too off topic. <laughs> there is no off topic. <laughs> Did you hear that Paul threw up in the game yesterday? What? <laughs> Sorry, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Paul is a mainstay at... At uh, table one. <laughs> if you uh, don't know Paul, he's begging, begging you. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll put a link to that somewhere at this point of the video. Cheers, boys. I'm begging, begging you. Put the 4K in so I can scoop it. I'm begging, I'm begging you. Washed up rapper turned degenerate poker pro. Oh, I'm sure he'll be on next. You gotta, you gotta put the uh, the framed photo of uh, his rap group in high school. Yeah, PG boys. <laughs> oh yeah. I have it right here if you want me to flash it. But anyway, uh, yeah, he had an episode. He, he ate too much. Oh, he ate too and, much. Uh, oh, because he's on the Ozempic right he's now. He's on the, the same thing. thing as me. The, he's on the thing. He's on the shot. And he abused his caloric intake and the the things spanked him for it which good I think it'll it, do that was no, a good th i mean that's that's why he's taking it I, I would imagine but it ended up with paul basically throwing up at the table and then he had to get a toothbrush delivered to the table so he could brush his teeth <laughs> at the table because he's very he's extremely hygienic yeah, yeah. cleanest asshole so, in vegas <laughs> I, 
sorry, my kids watch this. <laughs> sorry, kids. I mean, he, he every single hair is perfectly clean. Just, groomed. just, just groomed. Just picked clean. No, he gets lost with this thing. Speaking of toothbrush, his hygiene is one of his biggest strengths, in my opinion. But yeah, it's true. Next to his so, style. So, was he at the table, or did he like run to the bathroom? Did he run to a trash can? Like, what was uh, uh what was well, his strategy for the throwing up? He got stacked two different times with like really bad hands, bluffing into a shield, and then all of a sudden he was nauseous. But we couldn't tell if he was nauseous because of what was happening or because he was playing so bad. So there was this moment where it wasn't clear what was happening. And then he went to the bathroom for 10 minutes and came back and told us that it was, connect, it was, it was connected to the... Obese meal that I, you know he just what? had. I'm, I'm, I'm going to retract a little bit. Like, I, there's a chance it's because it was to a shield. There's, there's a chance that like he, he's, he felt violent inside because he stacked off to a shield. It's tough to lose to that friend. A shield, you know. we love a great part of the game. <laughs> but like when you get stacked by a shield, I honestly, I, I, I honestly can't think of anyone worse. I, I, I don't want to get stacked by anyone. In well, it's, it's much worse for Paul too because oh. he and a shield have like a very intense rivalry at this stage so actually last night it culminated in like it's a uh, rivalry between a hammer and a nail uh, or uh... it's they're very competitive when we play and like everybody knows in our game like we're all friends but like there are some you know competitive dynamics when we're there we all sort of like needle each other a bit but specifically we needle paul the most i think yeah. <laughs> no, for, that, that's very fair and that's just the way things are currently uh, he but, accepts it he accepts it, and there's it's just the way it is. But yesterday specifically, Ashiel was just going after him, and like it was just the type of thing where like Ashiel was calling every spot where Paul was bluffing, and whether or not you want to say Paul was bluffing too much is up to someone else's interpretation. <laughs> but Paul, basically, like the the theme of the day was pocket tens were just indestructible, and Ashiel called Paul down twice with pocket tens. Um, a few other people had pocket tens in spots where it's just never supposed to win, and it won. So. On the second time that this happened, it was just a spot where like Ashiel should just probably never even be thinking about calling down with tens in this specific spot, uh, and yet he does. And the thing, the first thing Paul says, which I told him straight out, I said, "This out of line. You can't say this. I don't know. I don't care how much you and Ashiel have, you know, competitive stuff going on." But Paul basically goes, <laughs> Paul gets snapped off by Ashiel on this spot, and he looks at Ashiel. He goes, "Did you see my hand?" And he was dead ass because Ashiel's sitting next to him. So the only way this hand made sense in Paul's mind is that Ashiel must have seen that Paul had seven deuce and was buffing with seven deuce. <laughs> and uh, so they had, you know. What was the rebuttal? No, I saw your soul. No, Ashiel handled it. Ashiel handled <laughs> no, it. Fine. But you know, if you know Ashiel, like he would never. Of if he so. saw your hand, he'd be the first one to be like, I, I, I've seen your hand. Yep. There's no way. 100%. There's no two ways about it. Not to mention, not if he accidentally did. And it was gonna be a scumbag. He would wait like thirty seconds and then like hero call with two tens. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. Not that I saw the hand, but I'm just saying, like, if you snap call, you're not a scumbag in that spot ever. So. All right, so so our game aside, <laughs> let's go back in time. Yeah, yeah. You win the bad beat. You dust all your money. Oh, I like this. Uh, how do we? How do we get how do the we juices arrive flowing? There? Yeah. How do you go today? from DJ Nick Howard to sure. DJ Nick Howard who? is an entrepreneur in sure, poker. Sure. I, I think I can give and, like uh, the the one minute version of it, which would be that 
Uh, Dude, just just give me the the, the fun story version. Give me the eight-minute version, and we'll take a shot. All right, here, here's what I think is relevant, and I'm 36, and here's what I remember. That you were 37 I, like 30 seconds I'm ago. 30. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I definitely had the I think I had the benefit of having rock bottom experiences earlier in my 20s, where like I actually went broke, I actually felt the pain of of hitting the floor. And I think it made me more accountable, you know, in the next round with bankroll management, with um, just being responsible in more areas of the career, with being accountable to trying to get better. And I ended up having, you know, a pretty decent career from 23 to 27. Around 27, I felt like I was really plateauing. I felt like the, the resources for strategy online just like, weren't helping. I, I felt like we were at sort of a ceiling. I got a crazy idea that we were going to start doing it differently with data analysis. I had a vision for it. I was lucky enough to meet all the right people. My brother of which was like basically uh, an angel on the shoulder of the whole operation because he's an ex-physicist. I got very lucky in being surrounded by people who could bring the vision that I had to life for the company. Um, I opened that company in 2016. This would be around the time that I was 27. And like I told you, it's the biggest parallel I could draw with that period from 27 to 30 is that starting a company is very much like having you know, a career in poker in the sense that you can go on a break even stretch or downswing for a year or longer and you're just accumulating debt with no proof that what you're doing is good or right. Um, and I think that's why it's so hard to, I think that's why the top is very guarded in, in business and in poker is like, that's a very hard skill set to cultivate. Not many people have the grit to be able to endure that type of stretch without seeing anything for what they're doing. And I think that's why most people end up doing something, you know, a little bit easier or something that delivers a result a bit faster. So I try to I think I always pulled back to the, the rock bottom experiences I had when I made a decision that I was going to stay with poker instead of going and getting like a, a real world job. Like that was a very pivotal choice for me and every stage I had building the business that was extremely hard. I think I could remember you know, that choice point and say, I'm staying here. I'm staying with this. I believe in this. How did it, was that three minutes? How did it uh, that was a long one minute. But for those who don't know, Dude, what, what, that's sick. what is your business? <laughs> uh, so we basically pivoted around the solver era when like solvers came out in, in poker. We pivoted to using solvers interactively with data analysis, real pool data from online hands. We could use real human play and basically show people how to play optimally against humans. That, that was my vision at least where everybody so else you, was basically. You took like, you like got a bunch of data from online from actual poker hands using the help of your brother who's a physicist helped you gather the data and assimilate it into something useful for your business. Correct. And then you would stake people and like have somebody else teach them kind of how to how to play against the what the player pool the population of players yes more online. Or less. it was the gathering part that was totally outside of my skill set we needed scientists to do that and then once we had gathered and mapped it we could create simple methodology for players to go play online 
against real humans and say, here's what the weaknesses are that we found. Go do these things in these nodes. <laughs> Imagine we throw up. Sorry. Like, he's like, he's burped like 18 times in the last like eight minutes. Sorry. Oh, Bourbon's been carbonated, boys. <laughs> but we're burping over here. But yeah, it, I felt like a crazy... Okay, so, you, so, you, so the short version is you found a shortcut to hacking the poker population and you taught as many people as you could to play like their normal poker game but in these certain situations do this differently and you'll win way more money. I think we found some very key tactics, I think, if I were to sum it up. We solved a very interesting problem at the time which was that everybody was overwhelmed with GTO solver work and we were able to simplify that through the methods that we used. That's the simplest way to put what we did. But what I've learned in terms of skill sets from business, I think were more powerful than like the problem that we solved in poker. I think the, the way that business interacts with um, time in the same way that poker teaches you how to deal with time, th those are the, the two most similar things I see in them. Which is why I think anybody who's good at poker could probably be good at business as long as they know how to talk to people and like you know aren't completely or if they're passionate i mean <laughs> yeah to, to me i think that's where the that's where it's driven like if you're passionate about anything and you're intelligent enough to be winner at poker i think you'd be intelligent enough to win it almost any facet as long as you're passionate about it i totally agree yeah. there's a quote that i saw recently that I, I really loved and it's the first time i've seen this but it said something like uh, there's only two possible outcomes in business you either quit or you stay with it long enough until it eventually works out. And I think right. with, with poker, it's like you're always searching for the better strategies or you're always searching for the better games. Eventually, I think you just find your place if you stick with it for long enough and you take feedback objectively. And with business, it's similar. It's like you're gonna fail so many times, the, the measure of how successful you will be will be, can you go further than the guy who failed you know, at that threshold? Something we say at the company, uh, Alex Hormozzi that said this first was like, whenever things get very, very difficult, we always say, this is where everybody else stops and that's why they don't get to the next level. And so when you normalize that, and the same with poker downswings, like I know that it's going to suck when I run bad. If I can actually just normalize the feeling of being a professional poker player, which is, sh it's shitty. It feels really shitty a lot of the time. Like. Uh, but being able to deeply acknowledge that, I think, is what allows you to just keep moving forward with the process. And, and I think that's a very difficult skill to cultivate. I don't see many people with that skill. It's like Rocky. It's not how, how hard you get hit. It's how hard you can get hit and keep moving I forward. Mean, and that's true. And like, but like, Cheers. That was good. Come on. It can't be time already. <laughs> I was going to say something very deep. Go ahead. How is my shot bigger than yours? It's, and like, it's I'm big. five shots ahead of you. No, you had something good, though. I didn't want to interrupt. But I did. No, yeah, like, Justin, uh, be profound. Go. <laughs> no, I, I do think there is a... Um, and, I, Art and I have talked about personally, and like certainly we've talked about it slightly in the podcast, but like there is something to making it past five years of being a professional gambler, 10 years, yeah. 12 years, 15 years, whatever it is. Like you can take these hits, like the lows become higher, the highs become lower, which makes you just like very steady, like on the way up. And like, I, I don't even know if it's something to aspire to. I, I honestly don't because like it's, it's like, 
aspire to a deadening of your emotions? I mean, it's true. Because, like, I mean, the reason I got into gambling, the reason I got into game playing in general was for the high of winning and the low of losing at the same time. Mm. And throughout the years, it, it's, it's, like, mediated itself to, like, this kind of central thing. And, like, I kind of forced myself into force, like, into feeling these highs and lows by doing let's just say like less than optimal things. Okay, I like this though, because this is a great entry point to why I really was drawn to your guys' game originally when I found it. Because I've worked with tons of online players who have this major void where, you know, they may have figured out how to deal with the variance, but they don't have any type of social life. And, and what I think the live realm gives you specifically the the dynamic that we have in our game that i felt right when i walked in i mean you guys had already cultivated that energy it's it made me feel immediately like the purpose is no longer to navigate these swings and like you know become resilient emotionally the purpose is to play this game for fun and the swings will press themselves out, but now we have an opportunity for real human connection. And I, I, I know that sounds kind of hokey, but like, no, that was the actual pivot point for me mentally when I, when I realized, okay, now we actually have an avenue to have a non-zero-sum game with poker inside of this zero-sum game, which will always suck because we're always just winning and losing big pots and going on huge downswings. But... For the first time, I, I honestly felt like this is something that I can actually stick with for another 15 years because it's filling that uh, human connection void that I see so many players online go through and that I had such experience with myself. So in my opinion, I guess what I'm trying to say is you need to be able to fill the uh, social or, or human element of your life somehow with poker. For me, at least, I, in order for it to be manageable long term, like I just don't think I would have been able, even if I was the best player in the world, I don't see myself being fulfilled if I'm sitting behind a computer grinding for 15 years without, uh, without real friendships developing. So, Yeah, no, you're 100% right. You can, you can put money down the rake hole and hope that you can beat the rake, but in some games, you, the rake doesn't matter and the network matters and you make friends and you find like a way to invest in somebody's company. There's like weird second order effects that you never yeah. think about. And you're like, wow, I would have never met X or Y and would have never been able to invest in, I don't know, Uber or some, some yeah. shit like that. Like you never know how, how, uh, certain people meet each other. Right. And, and poker is a gr the great equalizer. I always call it where, where you can play with people who, you know, they're not trying to, make their living at poker but they love the game and they want to they love the the challenge of the game the puzzle the logic puzzle of the game but but really just expanding your network and being able to to help each other basically two people who otherwise never would have met if it weren't for this common ground it's uh it's it's good i mean it's it's a great it's a great game poker <laughs> It's very profound. I'm fucking drunk. I mean, like, no, clearly, like Art and I've been drinking for quite a bit. So, like, if like whatever, we have eight people sit down at a, at a table, and if you could like track their like life graphs over like the last like 
six months, year, five years, whatever it is, mm-hmm. like everyone's like thing is just going to be all over the place. A lot of people are just going to be coming up like barely tipping the top of like mediocre. And a lot of people are coming from high and like going to get down low. Like everyone's like facing their own personal demons, like at that moment. And it's, it's, it's kind of cool to like talk to somebody mm-hmm. that has like seen so much more than you have from the highs to the lows or the lows to the highs where you can actually appreciate it. And especially as a poker player, like you've been high and low, high and low. When you talk to somebody who's been way higher and then got low or low, way lower and got to high. That's so important. Like it really is. Like it, it touches your soul. I, I, I don't mean to. Yeah, I mean, I am drunk. It like, sounds funny, but, but no, we, it's it's one hundred percent true though. We've like, played with someone like this is a true story. We've played with someone who has one of the highest salaries in the country, uh, and we've played with uh, someone who put two thousand dollars into a crypto coin and became one of the richest people in the country. So there's and then everywhere in between, like. The highs and lows of all of these people intersecting is just like one of the beautiful things about poker that uh, that'll never go away. I feel like it's just you you uh, there's no there's no gatekeeping. There's no I mean the stakes there's I no guess, judgment. Are a little bit no but judgment, yeah, which anyone is... anyone can walk into table one and, no and sit judgment. down and be like oh I have I have three thousand dollars I want to play poker with you guys and you know you might lose the three k you might win. But you get to you get to meet some interesting people for sure. That's that's the only thing that's guaranteed. Yeah. All right, where should we go to next, boys? I think we need to talk about alcohol since we're about to do our, our next shot. No, do no, to, no. Do we have I'm to pretty talk sure about it or that do we just I just took a shot like two it. seconds ago. Well, here's what I want to say in, in regard to network effects because uh, I come from an online background. I speak to a lot of online guys. That was like where I started and I I know the way that those guys think very well. That whole ecosystem, and I think it's a big part of the poker ecosystem, is very strategy oriented. They see the game through very, uh, through through an incomplete perspective, which is like, we're gonna level up in this game. (laughs) We're gonna level up by getting as good as possible at strategy. And, you know, throughout that whole process, I'm also trying to lead, you know, a group of players to their potential so I have to have this like you know mindset uh, persona of like okay let's get our shit together let's be on schedules and that's what you see on Twitter hard takes in 2022 which is one big experiment basically that I was you know sort of taking part in but my point here is that what I feel like right now after joining this uh, next level of the game which I'll call the sort of private arena is that like kind of like all that goes out the window. Like on one hand, if you're gonna be an online poker player and you wanna make a lot of money, sure, like be on a really strict schedule and, and, and don't do anything out of line, don't do drugs, don't drink. You get into the live world and like, there's just a different objective. For me, it's a much more social objective. I mean, I came in with you guys and like right away, I was the type of guy that was just taking people out every night. I don't do that because I, well, I do love drugs and alcohol, but I don't do that specifically because of that. I do it because, and hear, hear me right now, like this is important. I, I do it because that is a natural point of human connection that has been that way for hundreds of years. Thousands of years people have used alcohol to open up and like get more comfortable with each other. So I see 
alcohol and just like the social drinking part of live poker as a vessel for human connection. And I think being out all these nights and seeing these relationships that develop through the game, like I'm sure of that. Like it's something I'm very sure of and you can judge the lifestyle or whatever, but like I think real connections get made when people are able to let their guard down and whatever you need to do, if you need to drink, whatever, like that doesn't bother me. I don't have judgment towards that. Shout out to alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I think this is important because like, you know, there is, there's always alcohol flying around in the game and these private sure. games. And like a big part of uh, this podcast, like actually the main theme of this podcast is the differential between gamblers, people that want to make connections, have fun, hopefully make money. Like this is the, the hopefully make money or, <laughs> or like the people are there, they're in it for percentage points and it's just like well if I drink then like all of a sudden my percentage of ROI goes down to like 0.4 percent exactly. I can't handle that exactly and like and like that's that's unacceptable to our game it's specifically that is but so like in the in the perpetuation of poker in general I think it's it's awful and like this is why you've seen people with hoodies and holding their heads like this and heart checks and stuff like right. that like this stuff isn't helping the game, but in their mind, in the, which is fine, these guys are looking for an avenue out. They're looking to play perfectly for a month, a, six months, a year, five years, and they're looking to get out to do something else. Yeah, it's the five-year plan max versus right. the, uh, we just want a, a way to degen <laughs> well, <laughs> where, yeah. where we're not being but, hunted. But like... Uh, <laughs> Real gamblers, real poker players want to perpetuate the game. And like I think that's very important for our game specifically. Yeah. Where we want the game to succeed long after we're gone. Like if our private game, if our podcast ends tomorrow, thankfully not, you know, I, I want it to continue. Like the like poker is a beautiful game. It's it's a game of people, not a game of Especially like odds and stuff people. like that. Like I mean it's very <laughs> I can barely stay right now. But, like, <laughs> but, is, but that, it's true. <laughs> that's the point that I wanted to get to, and, and thanks for like looping it together, because basically what alcohol does is it... Well, let's start here. You, you cannot be one of those players with a hoodie Mine's and survive. <laughs> oh. I can't, I can't cheers. Mine's oh. empty. <laughs> you cannot be a, a hoodie headphones guy with a very intense demeanor at the table and get invited back to a private game you just it just will not fly so when I say that I'm sort of a walking paradox in the sense that I left the online realm where I was saying like we should have these strict schedule performance you know uh, rules and now we're in a arena where we just fucking drink often like let's just be honest that's how it works it's because the objective has shifted the objective is no longer to be like strategically perfect every day the objective is to make people feel comfortable and cultivate a vibe where people want to come back and i think that's, right. that's not that's not yet understood by a lot of poker players is that the objective actually changes at the private level yeah, it's adding adding new value you're adding just like the value of camaraderie and like hanging out and we are all you know we're all fucking ourselves with, with the alcohol. We're bringing ourselves down together. We, 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 we talked about this, this zero-sum game as far as like 
what you're bringing to a game. Just, let's take private games away from it. You go to a public game and you're just there out for yourself. Like, it's a negative game yeah. for the game. Like, it's, yeah. that your, your goal is a negative game for yeah. the game. Yeah. Where private games are like, it's, it should be neutral or positive. And that's what it should be. So like, sometimes you take a hit, sometimes you don't play optimally. And that does suck, especially when you go on downswings, which do often happen, often, often, often. <laughs> but at the same point, you're perpetuating something that's better than yourself. And like, you're, you're, I understand that you're still trying to make money on the back end, but like, it's, it's a positive thing you're trying to do. A good barometer is to say like, hey, this guy's playing the game. When's the last time he straddled without saying, Round of straddles. Do <laughs> right. we all want to straddle? <laughs> yeah. Guys, I'll do it if everyone's doing it. <laughs> I think when it, it starts to make sense when you see that you're sacrificing win rate at the table for, for EV in other areas of networking right. and life. Like, oh, networking too. Like just the, just the network effects of being able to invest with other people or just, you know, go out to dinners with certain people who can invite you to other events. Like there's so many hidden ways that you can generate EV ex besides your strategy at the table. I think that's just a very incomplete perspective that most players operate from. And at the private level, it gets exposed. The people who are going out of their way to uh, develop connections with other people who have abundant networks in other industries that's the path out. That's it's the highest leverage path out. And like, I don't. I think it needs to be modeled more. I'm not trying to like you know you know get on our high horse and be like this is how it needs to be. But like, I see a lot of people who don't really a lot of poker players who don't really know how this scales. And I like looking at poker as a business. And like, there are orders of leverage. You need to develop social skills and sacrifice a little bit of your strategic intensity if you want to get to the top of this industry. It's just very clear to me at this point. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, and it's just funny because there's some people who like, I don't know that we don't want to get out of this industry. <laughs> we want to, we want to make money with being able to angel invest in the best companies and that type sure. of thing. But we want to also be able to give action and gamble without, you know, without running into people who they're only in poker for five years and they just want all your money and they'll move to the left of you any chance they get. And then they're, <laughs> and then they're out, you know, like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because some people want to move on from poker and go into business and that's fine. But like, it's the method with which you do it. You know, there's a, like, I, I would like to be in invested in, you know, very, I, I did a, an angel, a few angel investments this year. And like, it's really fun to be, to be involved in that type of thing. But, but in terms of just poker in general, you, you show, you, you show all your cards when you, uh, when you take every inch of value and you, uh, you're just like trying to hunt people. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> if you're hunting, it's nobody wants to hang out with you. Yeah. You got to give action to, to be involved in the action kind of thing. <laughs> you have to be willing to be the, whatever, fifth I mean, best player in the game. <laughs> it goes back to like Doyle's like original book. Like you, you have to give action to get action. And like it, it's, it should hold true. Book? 
No, the yeah, super the system, super system, one hundred percent. Thank you. That, said that. Like, yes, one hundred percent. I super system was like probably the third poker book I ever read, but like the mainstay, and even though like I was a nit when I read it, was to make sure that you understand to give people action that you want action back from, and that's it's it's true to this day. And like, we can say whatever we want to about private games, but at the same point. It, I mean, it, it holds true. Like people that are not, it's kind of the golden rule, you know, give, yeah. give, uh, treat other people the way you want to be treated. You know, even if it's poker, even if it's real life, you want, you want people to, you know, not try to be transactional with you. You, know, you just want, you just want people to do you favors and you do them favors and you expect nothing in re return. I just got reminded of the first time that we all met. And there's a good example of, uh, these two different, perspectives on the game came from that game so I don't know if you guys remember but Berkey had some arcade basement game where we played live one day and, and I didn't I, even know I do remember that art was in the game the first time I showed up to the table one game art was there not you and he remembered me from that game and I, I didn't remember him because he was wearing a hat or something in the game but we were basically playing like six-handed that day and it's such a silly game but yeah everybody was fucking was that the drunk. one where we were like trying to say what we're doing with the headphones on or no 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 this was uh the three of us yeah. and i don't know a couple other guys who who berkey had in for town but this game didn't last long berkey was running it on stream for like i don't know a couple weeks or something but we show up on the premise that it's going to be like 10 25 50 and it like quickly turns into 50 100 and maybe even we were straddling 200 sometimes so i didn't come prepared to play those stakes so I was basically piecing out during the game so I'm like in the kitchen taking ripping shots of whiskey selling action while <laughs> and coming back to the stream and what I learned that day was you know that was one of my first private experiences I hadn't really dabbled in like those games and like you know if you remember it was a very drunk game that day you yes. got you got buried that day I think mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> turns out I do remember <laughs> but uh so everybody's splashing like hard and I remember uh I, I booked a small win or something and and I was talking to the people who a couple of the people who booked action with me and I'm talking about like some of the most strategically accountable people in my network online players obviously and they come to me after watching the stream and they're like, you know, we think you're probably a winner in this game, but we won't stake you for any game outside of this game because we think you played horrible. And, and, they, and, and, and they pointed to like some, I don't know, like whatever. some calls that I made pre-flop that were like a couple of pips too wide or whatever. And I'm like, okay, you, you clearly don't understand the dynamics of private. Like you, you have to do this. Which is funny because it's your first experience and you're like <laughs> already like, so intuitively. You, you did what you're supposed to do. What you I'm literally did to. what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to widen all your ranges. Exactly. And like just trust yourself and on just rivers. Just go street. Like, that's fine. And just go street. With yeah, it. go and street. That's yeah. exactly. I, I know people call me street all the time and I don't know what it means, but I'm pretty sure it's not a compliment. <laughs> It can be if you're in the street. I know I've been in this industry a long time and I understand what it means, but I don't think it's a compliment. Actual, like, these, like 28 year olds, like, goes, oh, that was such a street bet there. I'm like, street poker. I was like, oh, thank you. And they're like, they just like turn away. And I'm like, no, I don't think that you mean this as a compliment. Like, I, I think you just mean I just made it out of the box play. Have eight minutes passed? Oh my God, I hope not. I'll tell you what.
This is why Paul's next album will be titled Calibrated Well, because playing <laughs> Calibrated well. Playing street calibrated street poker is the pinnacle of poker, in my opinion. Being able to get in there and dance around and then make really good river decisions. No, I mean like there there are a ton of pros that have like made their living off this stuff. And like I I, Cheers I know they to calibrated have, street poker. Oh my gosh. To Paul. Paul the whale. Paul's anyway, Paul's now convinced that his shield has lights out live tells on him. And that's the only way his shield was able to make these calls yesterday. No. Yet I was watching a shield throughout the whole hand and he never looked at Paul. No. <laughs> By the way, no. The answer is no. I mean... He put him on seven deuce. Sometimes you gotta put him on seven I had a conversation deuce. with Paul recently. We're, I want to talk about what we're actually talking about. But the initial part of the conversation was, I think people in our game don't bluff enough on the river. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, like, you shouldn't be calling as wide as you do. And he's just like, no, yeah, but yeah, forget about that. Like, let's just go on to- uh, I have a game the, I want to the, invent. The thing I want to, he's like, but it's called crown, like Paul's game or King's game or something like that. And it's a Paul, great game, by the way. Paul, Paul it's a great game. I'm not joking, but like- Your game is great. No one's trying to bluff you, Don't call the river as much I mean, as you do. I mean, I'm trying to bluff you. He's trying to bluff you. I'm definitely trying to bluff him. I'm yeah. probably trying to bluff you. I would never. Oh, but a shield. Paul, I w- if you're listening, I would never try to bluff you. <laughs> never. Every time I bet the river, have it. So just, just let it go. Anyways, what's the game with the crown? We got... <laughs> Did you decide what you want for the crown? Uh, so for those that are listening at home that don't know what the fuck we're talking about because we're drunk, we're trying to invent a new game in poker. We have the stand-up game where you have to stand up. Mm-hmm. Everyone stands up. If you win a pot, you get to sit down. Last man standing pays everyone a bounty. Uh, it's great couple, game, by the way. Couple big blinds, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It could be it's fucking fantastic. $2. It would be an amazing game for the game. But we're trying to find a new game. And Paul, our friend, uh, has he bought a crown on eBay or something. Three, or I hear. Three, whatever. three crowns. He bought, a, he bought crowns, but I think we only need one for the game. I don't think they're going to be three kings. Um, there's one king for sure. There's yeah. one king. Anyway, Always he wants to do a game where we wear the crown somehow, and there's some way to entice bluffing on the river. Now, he wants a really complex game. It has to be simple. But it has to be it simple. To. You have to be able to explain it to anyone sitting down. My idea for the game was if anyone wins a pot with king three, which looks like a king and a crown, you know, a little three. Uh, <laughs> Nice. Like a little crown. Um, a little crown. Then the game activates. Automatic stand-up game. The king doesn't have to stand up. He sits down. He's the fucking king. So he doesn't have to pay at all. That's the guy who bluffed with king three to activate the game? Exactly. Okay. And he gets to wear the crown. And I don't know. There were... I, I think that should be the whole game. I, I think that's perfectly fine. You don't need to do anything else. And then Paul was trying Paul, to incentivize he, bluffing on the river. He and wants was, to incorporate... He wants to switch the crown around to someone else. And he then, wants to incorporate the phrase, pay me, you peasants. Oh, so... <laughs> well, you can still do that, <laughs> so by the way. <laughs> but what if what continue. if the guy... So what if the last guy to fold, <laughs> when you win with king three... <laughs> Every hand until the stand-up game game ends has to pay you a bounty. Something like this, like fifty bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever. Like like a small blind, something like that. So he has more incentive to play hard early and stand up because he's paying an extra an extra penalty. It doesn't matter until the game ends. He has to pay you. (laughs) 
You, with like, I, I don't know. Something like, like, like that. Yeah, you pick out your peasant. Like, when you get crowned, you, you, when you get the crown, you're like, okay, um, you're going to be my peasant today. I feel like it should be And every time I win a pot, you'll be $50. It in, should be until you, you win them, a pot. Right? It should be like the guy you bluffed has to, has is, to pay. Oh, no, that's, that actually, the no, guy that. you beat with the king three, instead of a bounty right then and there, every hand until the game ends has to give you a tax. Or, like a peasant. Or yeah. everyone has to give you a tax that's standing. Everyone who's still I standing. I like a peasant. I, I like it more personalized for some be. reason. What <laughs> if it's everyone who's still standing? Every hand a quarter. Till you're, every hand a quarter. Well, you just make it a splash pot. Well, no, because if everybody has to pay you a quarter, that's what? There's eight players at the table other than you. It's a good That's a 200 good bucks. Someone, you have to be incentivized to win a hand, so you don't have to pay that quarter every single hand. The problem is, like, it, logistically, it's tough. Like, everyone's, like, That's tossing you, like, it's, stuff. What do you mean it's logistically tough? It adds friction tough? to the no, game. No, like, it, 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 take, it takes oh, the next... hard. I have to pay a quarter. What, this you is think, impossible. You think the dealers just were like, did everyone pay? I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe wait, there's a chance. More importantly, how do you... King has Spears. How do you dethrone the king? The game ends. That's it. The standing game ends? Yeah. And then Once the game ends, then it's next person with king three. Like, something like that. I mean... You could continue mm. the game with another King 3, but King 3 is a pretty good hand compared to like 7 deuce. I mean, I would love King 3. Dude, I'm drunk. How long have we been talking for? I don't know. I mean, what else do you guys want to say? Is I don't this, know. Are, so we much more. are we complete? Are we complete? <laughs> so much We're more never stuff. complete. The podcast never ends. <laughs> um, well, I'll just say something on a personal note. I'm going to go to the mall after this. <laughs> and the reason that I'm doing that is because I do my best shopping when I'm drunk. Uh, my wife and I, are, the mall is our favorite place, but what we figured out is that if we're actually shopping for clothes, we shouldn't go together because we both get into our own zones. I need to be doing my own thing, going to my own stores, etc. So I do all my shopping alone and I do my best shopping when I'm drunk. So from a delegation standpoint, scheduling standpoint, this was perfect because I can get wasted with you guys I'm going to go to the mall for three hours. I'm going to have Paul, three pick, hours. I'm gonna have Paul pick me up from the mall when he gets back from Paul's the airport. Paul's in L.A. He's sleeping he's in my back. house. He's coming back. And he then drove we'll go, there. And then he's we'll not go going to the airport. He's driving home, he said. He, he, yeah, he's uh, something. What? You said the airport. He flew there. He's driving back. What? Come on, dog. <laughs> Did he buy a <laughs> you know car while Paul he's works? there? How many drinks have you smoked? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So what are you looking to buy? Let's let's get to yeah, I wanna, specifics. Stand well, up! I want to see this outfit right now. This is I know I don't have a lot going on. This is like this is nothing. First of all, I wear the same pants. Wow, you have a weird day. zipper on your butt Dude, area. Yeah. <laughs> it cost me actually three hundred dollars for Damn, those. Damn, is pants. that three hundred dollars zipper? I have four types of these pants. It's all I wear, and the reason is because I've lost so many chips when I don't have zipper pockets <laughs> that I've worn my last. You know, it's not the zipper pockets, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the pants' <laughs> fault. The, the the chips are safest in the pockets. <laughs> My experience with Nick. So now I have this like f- Facebook entrepreneur habit of like only wearing the same pants every day, which is kind of gross. But I have a lot of pairs of them, so it's fine. Like Homer Simpson. The problem I'm having is my clothes are disappearing at a very high rate in my home. And it's like, you know how when socks get like chewed up and you just eventually have no socks left? That's happening with my hats and my t-shirts. And I can't figure out what's happening. I've addressed my wife. She doesn't know what's going on. I can't figure it out. So I have to basically 
keep going shopping at a very high rate wow. to compensate for the fact that my clothes keep disappearing. I feel like Nordstrom's like stealing your clothes. And that's what's happening in my life right now. So. I mean, life's tough, man. I don't know how to handle that uh, <laughs> diatribe you just had. But, uh, so some people you, lose their socks in the dryer. You just lost like you just lose pants, clothes. shirts, pants, shirts, hats. My favorite hat is missing. The Raiders hat that I showed you. No, no, orange. I hate that hat. I yeah. love it. No, I, know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> He's a Broncos I do. Fan. Sorry, he hates that hat. I. So, Five in a row, guys. Yeah, they make it in Broncos. Broncos are going to go four and two. The last six games, we're making the playoffs. After that, I can't guarantee anything. He is drunk, guys. He <laughs> I, is drunk. That is uh, true. Don't put it down. I'm sorry. You got a man reaching for a shot glass. We're going to crush this. I don't think we can end until we finish this. This is actually... Ooh, should actually we keep going? Oh, <laughs> How's yours always the most? Because like, he said, like, should we finish this bottle? I'm like, yeah, probably. I mean, we're almost there. Can we actually finish this bottle and still go on with our day? Or do we have- It's nighttime. <laughs> Am I gonna be able to go to the mall? All right, let's, should we do an outro? Or do oh, we what? not care? Do, uh, Cause should we just fade into oblivion? Cause we're too drunk? Or should we do like a proper <laughs> outro? Yeah. I don't like think good. I did. No, I did, I did. I did, I did, I did. I heard him like oh, tense up and fart. <laughs> Can that be the outro, please? Well, we accomplished our mission of um, completing this entire bottle. Never say die. I hope you guys enjoyed our, uh, our power, our power hour on That's good. all things table one and also um, a little bit of a background on my transition. He <laughs> <laughs> used to be a man, but now- Now he's a Superman. <laughs> parallels, parallels between business and poker. Thanks but, for yeah. joining us. But no, Nick Howard's been a great uh, guest in anyone's uh, journey towards gambling as opposed to being a humdrum poker player is always welcome here. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, fucking hammered. <laughs> I think we can end it there. No, no outro needed. Yeah. Thanks. Everybody. No, no. Art, Art, do your thing. Honestly. You want to throw up? No, no. Art, no, no. Art, Art, Art. Come on, Art, do your no, thing. Listen. What's our Twitter? At Table One Vegas. Yeah, that's table, good. the number one, Vegas. That will give you access to all the bad beats. Is that true? And all the coolest spots. That's sure. the one you should follow. We have something. We call it the Degenerates Agreement. Okay? All you have to do to get more of this content is subscribe, like, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, and that's it. Seriously, retweet anything you see from Table One Vegas and you'll have <laughs> infinite glory in the kingdom of Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I didn't think you were going that way. What's the Viking Kingdom of Glory? What is it called? I don't know what's going on. Oh, I just realized I have a microphone right here. Okay. Oh my gosh. That was a good option. All right, guys. Table One Podcast. Table we love you guys. Podcast. Please we follow, subscribe, like, all that fun stuff. Take we care. appreciate it. Nick Howard appreciates it. Our partner appreciates it. I appreciate it. Please, I love you guys. All right, check out. Me and my buddy, we make it all of this money. Yeah, I know it's rude to be bragging. I'm glad I get to edit this. That's all. That's all there is to it.